Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. And thank you and welcome, my friends, to another edition of The Coaching Show. Today, an international edition. We're very excited to have our guest with us. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach here as ever, as always, like a, like a comedy team uh, with Alex Terranova, PCC. Mr. Terranova, how are you? like a bad comedy team like when they made chips into a movie and it just didn't work <laughs> chips too that's exactly what this is <laughs> uh you are available at the dreammason.com you're the author of at least two books that we know of fictional authenticity and your contributor to redefining masculinity both published what uh fictional authenticity was what 2019 and then redefining was 2021 yeah 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 so you're an every two year kind of writer yeah, I show up every two years and perform. Um, yeah, no, I, I, well, you know what? This year, though, that came out. I just finished the rough draft of book three, which will be out by the end of this year. I'm trying to figure out how to, I, mean, I need, I need an artist. So if there's an artist listening, a cartoon artist, or if someone knows somebody who does like political style cartoons, it's not a political book, but I need that style of an artist to work with me. You know what you might consider is just the mighty muscle. You might just consider that as your as your book cover. That's um, yeah, that's an inappropriate nickname. I, I think you should. <laughs> well, uh, I was referring, of course, to the baseball cap you're wearing today, which <laughs> I understand is from a minor league team. Do you have any idea where they are from? I, I mean, we could Google it. You know, the mighty muscles. It'll come up. But uh, I don't know if we want to spend time on that. I do have something that you want an update on. And I think it's oh, wow. a really cool testament to, to the power of coaching, which I think it's why it's relevant. Is it about your facial hair? No, it's not about my facial hair. But okay. last week we talked about houses. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you bought a house. You bought so a I, house. So, so, I, so I didn't get the house. Um, oh, an, another, is- another group slid in at the last minute and offered, you know, uh, up to the money. And I knew that w- I knew where I offered was the most I was willing to pay. It wasn't about, could I pay more? It was about the house. I didn't think the house was worth more. And yeah, you tell yourself that that's okay. Well, and, and, but this was the thing that I thought was the different shift. So prior to meeting you, I would have been, I didn't get what I wanted. This sucks. I'm all bummed. And over the last, let's say six, seven years, I've, I've done the, you know, the, the coaching work, the, the, the personal growth work. And my real estate agent calls me and goes, I have some bad news. And I'm like, what's up? And he goes, you know, somebody offered more money and I knew you were, you were your max. So they're going to get the house and not you. And I went, okay, that's cool. I go, it's on my house. And he was like, what? And I go, you know, I noticed this thing about myself. The first time I want something, I never get it. But the thing that comes right after is even better. So I'm excited for that next house you find me because it's going to be the house that I'm supposed to get and it's going to be the house that I really want. And he went, wow, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. And, I, and, and, you know, we got off the phone and everyone I talked to that had knew I was very close, it was like, so, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, this is great. Like the, and I think that that, that speaks to, that is, I don't want to say that's the coaching work that everyone does. But that's the impact that it's had on me is that when things don't go my way, I'm already like, well, what's coming next? Because it's it's that it's like the domino effect. The next thing is going to be even better. That's a that's some wisdom right there. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks for 
uh, playing that game that way and not just, you know, getting into a tangle. I, I always, my ego gets involved and I would like race those people to, you know, $85 million and then have to declare bankruptcy or something. So well done. Um, the thing that it reminded me of is that old Stephen Wright line about the early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. I like mm-hmm. how you said like the, the every, the second thing that you go for, the next thing will be the one. So I'm excited to see what you create. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely like, I didn't have a lot of, when I met you, there wasn't a lot of faith or trust in myself or in, in like the world or the universe, you know? And I think that is like the big, I think we do that in coaching, right? We, we, it's not for everyone, right? I wanted that. I wanted trust and faith. And through coaching, I was able to generate that. And so it has situations go easy. You know, I'm, I'm watching everyone else as you probably are in San Diego. And I, I don't know about in other countries or whatnot, but people are desperate here. They're acting like it's the last house and it's the last opportunity. And they're, you know, they, if they don't have enough money, they're offering up a child. We'll, we'll, trade, we'll, we'll trade you anything we have so we can get that house. Or we'll take your children. Yeah, whatever you want, right? Whichever way you want it to go. Well, yeah, this, uh, is, this show does not advocate any, any trading of children. Well, Let's make that really clear. Hold on. My lawyer's just called. Hold on. All right. Let's get, uh, thank you so much for the update. And I'm excited to get to our guest. Um, speaking of authors, a prolific writer. I don't know if he's on the every two-year plan. We'll find out. But Ak is a certified master practitioner coach and mentor, as well as the founding president of the European Mentoring and Coaching Council's Asia-Pacific region. He's director of Perth-based Beckin Business Coaching, Mentoring, and Consulting. Prior to that, he was at Altus Q, where he was a partner and a senior coach. He was also director and deputy chairman from 2008 to 2010. He's based in Western Australia, and we're delighted to welcome him to our microphones for the first time, Pak Sabah. Hello, sir. Good morning, Christopher and Alex. Uh, and I guess I should say it in Australian, good day. Nice. <laughs> there's your there's your bona fides right there. You're 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 vetting. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Fully vetting. The, uh, as you can tell, Alex and I don't like to work very hard. So I'm just going to ask you. I'm going to lead off with a couple of questions, and we'll turn it to you if you don't mind. Absolutely. We talk to a lot of people from North America, North American based, or working with North American companies. So I'm very eager to speak to someone who's Australasia, and arguably, I would I would imagine doing some some amount of your business in Southeast Asia. I'm eager to hear what the pandemic uh, has created in terms of for the coaching business in the Asia Pacific region, if you will. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I was literally on a call last night to about uh, 10 other coaches from around Asia Pacific region, uh, as far west as India and as far north as, uh, as Vietnam, um, including um, Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong, and a few other countries in between. And, and we, we were talking through what every country is going through right now, what every city is going through. And by, by far, as we know, right at this moment, India is, is in a really, really bad state. Um, and um, uh, it, it's affecting, obviously, everybody, all businesses in different ways. And what we're seeing is um, multiple different effects happening where in some countries, like in Singapore at the moment, it's almost business as usual. That's of today. Um, yet in towns like uh, Kuala Lumpur, uh, they've gone into major shutdown again, third wave. 
Uh, Hong Kong hasn't seen two cases in the last day or two, so they're on the up, yet they've had two or three massive waves. So there's constant flux of up and down. The conversation that we were having was one around how do we, as coaches, support coaches in countries that are going through these really, really deep troughs, like in India, um, because literally uh, the coach I was talking to, apart from her and her husband, who are so far, thank God, safe, uh, all her immediate family is, is locked away with COVID. They can't even get to doctors because doctors are all suffering with COVID. Uh, and what I found really interesting was that the Indian diaspora in North America, the, the, the Indian families who have moved to North America, um, uh, are quite, there's a fair, fairly large uh, population. Uh, the doctors within that population are now being um, zoomed into uh, telemed, uh, telehealth conversations and consultations in India because they just can't get doctors in India who can speak, who can actually sit upright, who can actually breathe. So um, it's affecting different parts of the region in very different ways and at different times. Uh, and so over the past uh, 18 months of COVID, we've been watching as as cities shut, close, open, shut, and how coaches have had to deal with that. Uh, we're actually looking at putting a program together now to support the coaches in India, uh, purely for them to talk to somebody outside the country and just get a little bit of, I guess, love and energy from, from people who, who do the same kind of work they do, uh, but just to give them somebody to talk to. It's thanks for sharing like the perspective of what other, you know, what other people are, are going through in other parts of the world. I think, you know, we all went through different things during COVID. Um, how are you working with the clients you have or the coaches to, you know, right? Like if they don't have the health they need or the things they, if they don't have some basic needs met, it's tough to, it's tough to do coaching, right? If you don't have basic needs met, how are you supporting like, how are you doing the coaching work with people that are struggling with these things? Um, I think I, I have to declare that we're, we're very lucky in Australia in the sense that um, COVID has affected us probably at least compared to other parts of the world. Uh, relatively, our economy has has fared well. Relatively, business has fared well. There are some parts of the economy that haven't. Um, uh, we've got uh, we've got clients in the hospitality industry who, who literally lost seventy percent of their turnover overnight, um, and have slowly clawed back. Um, from a health perspective, we we haven't really had to go deep into that kind of coaching or helping them. Where we have had to help is more in the mindset and, and I guess the uh, the emotional well-being of, of people, mainly because we don't know what tomorrow looks like. There's a huge amount of uncertainty as to what tomorrow might bring, whether that be an economic um, issue or a health issue uh, or some, some other kind of issue associated with it. So uh, I guess the, the broader thing that we're doing, not only in Australia, but certainly talking to coaches in, in other parts of Asia Pacific that have been far more widespreadly hit by, by COVID, is really working with people around how they deal with uncertainty. Um, and, and there's been a lot of press, and, and it's interesting to listen to the language around uncertainty, where you start to see a lot of media talking about the needing to cope with uncertainty or how can we become certain in uncertain times is the big buzzword. 
And, and I kind of challenge that because I don't think you can ever be certain about uncertainty except for the fact that you can only be certain that there is uncertainty. Um, so uh, the tack I've taken with, with a number of, of, of clients in coaching has been to actually say, well, what, why do we actually need to come up against uncertainty? Why is uncertainty something we need to fight against? What if we owned uncertainty? What if uncertainty was actually owned by us right in our DNA? And we actually said, you know, bring it on. As Alex, it's a bit like you're talking about your house. Yeah, I didn't get the first one. Fantastic. Awesome. Bring it on because the next one's going to be the right one. So maybe with uncertainty, we just need to change our mindset a little bit. And I know this is hard to do and it's easy to say, uh, but where we've, done, we've seen some really, really exciting work done in this area with clients is, is something that we've taken from the corporate world, which is something that, that you're probably very well aware of, which is things like scenario planning. And we have a, a company where everybody from the, the personal assistant right through to CEO just doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. What better way than to bring them together to talk about that? The answer doesn't lie with the bosses. The answer doesn't lie with the staff. It lies with all of them. And if we can bring them all on a journey of accepting that uncertainty is there, but working together around that to fulfil an outcome, then, then perhaps we actually do a number of things, not only uh, build a culture which is around coming together over this uh, uncertainty, but also looking at uncertainty in a totally different way and saying, well, how can we actually manage it? And so we, we, we actually took one client through uh, this process where at the very beginning people were wondering, will I have a job in three months or six months? Uh, and by the end of that process of, of looking at different scenarios, of, of engaging the other side of the brain, not just the thinking brain, but the creative brain to look at what could the different worlds be? Let's create four different, very different worlds of what might come out of this around the economic impact and the health impacts. And so what we saw there was that they brought up four different worlds where in the first world, and we called it the lucky country because Australia is often called the lucky country. The lucky country was that we found a, a cure for COVID very quickly and the economy bounced back quickly. The second one was what we called the COVID bus, the on and off, the start, the stop. The, uh, you know, we've, we've got a bit of a cure. Um, the economy is going okay, but COVID keeps popping up. Uh, then the worst case was what we called the, the COVID winter, where the economy tanked badly, the world economy went into depression, and there was no cure, and that there was another world that kind of matched those. And what we asked all of them to do was to break up into teams and own one of those categories, own one of those worlds, and start to look for what it would look like, what we would be reading in the press, seeing on TV, what reports would we be reading if we lived in that world. And what that helped create were signposts so that as we went through week by week, month by month into last year through the COVID crisis and the lockdowns and then what happened afterwards, they could start to see what was happening in the real world. And if those signposts started to show up, they were able to say, this is now the world we're moving to with some certainty. Now, that created some huge opportunities and conversations in the organisation. And it settled everybody down because they could start to see that one of these worlds or part of one of these worlds might start to show up. We then looked inward and said, let's look at our products and services. What opportunities do, do we find in any of these four categories? 
And you know what? Even in that worst case, even in that case of, of doom and gloom, they found opportunities in their products and services and, in fact, got so confident that they grew their staff by 25% right in the heart of the whole uh, pandemic here. Uh, and, and that's just one of the stories of how we, we help people deal with that. It's, oh, it's so rich and there's so many things I want to follow up on. The, 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 I love the scenarios. You know, it's unusual as an American to be a fan of science, but I am. And one of the things that we talked about uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I want to say it was March of last year, uh, Johns Hopkins or some similarly prestigious institution here in the States um, did, uh, played out something like a million different scenarios on the computer, you know, computer assisted. And what they said the fastest way through the pandemic would be would be for and I, I think this was just North American focus, but it could have been global, was to schedule open and close, open and close. So you would know like this. Uh, I think it was uh, two open, one closed or something like that. Right. And that if we did that, their projections showed that we'd be completely through the pandemic in a year and a half. And so here we are, you know, a year and two months later and retrospectively, it sounds like, hey, maybe we should have done that instead of just throwing all the cards up in the air and seeing which ones we we played. I love that scenario uh, set up. There are so many things to uh, follow up on here. Uh, the first thing I think I should go back and pick up is the European Mentor and Mentoring and Coaching Council. This is a group that I uh, was privileged to participate in for the last few years, mostly through the, the global conference. And uh, I was fortunate to be a speaker this past year. Um, what, you know, as a in a North America and a bunch of other places, the ICF is sort of the big dog when it comes to coaching a, a third party organization that's regulating credentialing and and speaking to coaches. What is it that has you participate in the EMCC? And I don't mean to put you on the defensive. I'm, I'm eager to hear what what the benefits are of the EMCC. And I'm particularly interested in for our coaches listening, what the mentoring role is distinct from a coaching role? I know that was a lot. Cool. Have you done it all? Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, so, so I'll break that up into a number of um, things. The first thing to, to really be clear on is that um, in, in, a, in a spirit of abundance, which goes back to Alex's conversation around didn't get the first house and the next one's on the way, um, it's really important to, uh, to state that um, EMCC and ICF are both awesomely uh, good organisations and um, in many ways it's very hard to distinguish which one you should go with. They're, they're both uh, as good as each other. Uh, for, for us in, in Australia, the, when, I was with, uh, when I was a partner in, in the company prior to, to Beckon, um, my partners and I started to look around for um, an organisation to attach to uh, that was global, that had some kind of credentialing and also a sense of ethics and and moral standing on how to, to do things in coaching and mentoring. Um, we, we, we did look at ICF, we looked at a number of other organisations and, and where we landed on the EMCC was, was uh, two very distinct reasons. The first one being the pedigree of EMCC comes from the university sector. So they have a very, very strong uh, DNA around research. Um, uh, everything is well researched, and uh, we try to back everything up with 
with science and, and the research to, to the point where uh, last year we ran a whole series on um, the latest and best of neuroscience in coaching. So, so what's neuroscience teaching us about coaching and mentoring and what can we learn more in neuroscience to help us as coaches uh, where we were able to get um, some really, really uh, bright professors from around the world to present to us. Um, and there's a guy called um, Professor Paul Brown, who's actually based in Laos, um, but works uh, with a couple of universities in Europe. Uh, and Paul is a, is a neuroscientist uh, and a coach and mentor, so is able to be able to um, bridge um, hard science with, uh, I guess, the soft art of coaching. Um, and we got a lot of, a lot of, um, learning coming out from that. Uh, the, other, the other piece was, so, so that's really one of the reasons we went to MCC. Uh, the other thing that, that I really found um, good culturally was a sense of inclusion. Um, as you know, when you go to these conferences in, in, in Europe, there are people from countless countries, countless languages, uh, and the ability to, to share with those people, their experiences, uh, is, is really unique. Um, it's not just one country. It's not just one view. It's, it's multiple views. Uh, and, and that, to me, was something really important. And when um, the president at the time, uh, Dr. Lise Lewis, was, was talking to us about uh, Australia and potentially bringing EMCC to Australia, one of the things I said, I said, let's set ourselves a challenge. Let's, just do, let, let's not just do Australia. Let's do Asia-Pacific because Australia is part of Asia-Pacific. And if we really want to live that, that core value of inclusion, then we need to be, be included and they need to be included. So she looked at me and she said, well, when are you going to start? And kind of put me on the spot, which once in a while is, is, is the only way to get me to do something. So I said, all right, let's do it. Um, and so about three years ago, set upon the task of setting up an Asia-Pacific region for EMCC. Uh, so we have uh, members uh, in, I think, uh, about 18 different countries speaking about that many different languages, God knows how many different belief systems and cultures sit in all of that. Um, and, and, you know, one of the most interesting things is that a lot of modern coaching, as you both know, really stems out of the um, Western philosophy. Um, North American philosophy, psychology, and and Western um, thought processes. And what I've noticed a lot in the Asian Pacific region is that the coaches and mentors are looking to the West for inspiration and guidance. And my challenge back to them is, yes, but you've been doing this far longer than we ever had. The Chinese have a word for it. It's called sifu, which means mentor. Um, and they've been using that word for thousands of years. So my challenge to my colleagues in China is always, you can look to the West for inspiration and guidance, but we're looking to you for even more. Um, so come along, let's play together on an equal, equal table. And that's the conversations I've been having and, and really find inspiring and interesting. Um, so that's, that's the second part of the EMCC question. Um, now, your third question was around mentoring. Yes. Thank you for remembering. You're you're good, and all of this with no notes. Well done. Oh well, I try. Um, could you just ask me again what what specifically about mentoring sure. that you're sure? And Alex may have a may have something to add, but what uh, for me, most of the people that have been listening to this show for 
18 years are, uh, you know, Western oriented and, and coaches. So I'm eager to have a distinction made between coaching and mentoring and how in the EMCC, they are neighbors and friendly and, and work well together. Whereas in the um, more Westernized, or I can at least speak to North America, they're seen as two very distinct things and not necessarily friends. So I'm eager to hear what it's like on your side of the planet. Oh, okay. Um, Look, I've always found this a fascinating argument. You know, what's the difference between mentoring and coaching? And uh, I've got to reflect on my 20 years of of coaching uh, and, I guess, mentoring. And really, it's it's a blend of um, coaching, mentoring, sometimes even a bit of consulting, especially in in my world because I'm I'm a business coach, not necessarily a a life coach or anything like that. So there's a lot of – it's a bit of hybrid. So um, if I if I was really purist, I would go down the line of coaching is the ability for somebody to bring the best out of somebody else without necessarily knowing anything about their process or what they do. Um, where the difference in mentoring is where you have some kind of domain knowledge and weave that into the conversation to enable that person to to get more distinctions and and different enlightenment, if you like. Um, where my background has been in, in the corporate world and the business world, and I go into business coaching, um, I guess there's not a single day I'm coaching where I'm not calling on 30-plus years of, of, of business knowledge and experience. Um, how I do that, though, is in a coaching modality. So, so to me, the differences are there are differences. Certainly when we're building mentoring programs for companies, uh, it's about that internal uh, knowledge and uh, wisdom that's being transferred. Uh, but what we also do in those programs is we teach the mentors how to mentor using a coaching process. Because one of the, re- the things we've noticed in a lot of mentoring programs worldwide is they fail, uh, mainly because I think... Uh, the idea of of mentoring at the highest level has always been, well, let's just catch up for a cup of coffee and have a chat um, and maybe I can help you. And that unstructured way of doing things generally ends up with about two coffees and by the time you end up at the third coffee, you're looking at each other going, what are we doing here? Um, And so it fizzles pretty quickly. But if you have a structured program and you can actually bring people along not only as mentees um, and help them in their own minds, get clear on, I've got an agenda here, this is my process, and somebody's giving up an hour of their time as an executive to help me, therefore I need to respect that and come prepared. And on the other side, giving the the mentor the skill set to ask some basic coaching questions that can uh, breathe life into the program, you can then start to see that the mentor can overlay coaching with their wisdom, their knowledge, and get a really, really cool outcome for the mentee. I don't know whether that answers the question, but... Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. 
Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. I want, I want to go back for a second because Christopher... Christopher did the, you know, coaching no-no of just stacking questions on top of each other and getting you to remember all of them, which was you passed his test. Um, but I want to go back to the second one because you talked about something that I, I found really interesting, which was on in the East, they're looking to the West yeah. for like guidance and whatnot. And it seems like sometimes the opposite's happening here. People are looking to like Buddhism and yes. old philosophies and we had a guest on last week who referenced this old Egyptian text that I started reading. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is coaching. Um, are there in that fashion that you're like, hey, they've been doing this bef- long, long before. Right. This is ancient yeah. for coaches out there. What are some are there some great resources that you have some great places to look that are like outside of the typical coaching modality that we can improve our skills and, and can improve our mindset? Uh, good question. I'm um, the list is long uh, in terms of uh, if if you uh, go look at uh, any uh, Eastern philosophical texts, uh, you'll you'll find stuff. I've I've been looking at one in particular lately, the Dao, the Tao Chi, I think it's called, uh, and um, it uh, it's got some really cool stuff in there that I've been able to take out. And it's ancient wisdom. And I'm about to do a presentation in Vietnam on succession planning. And I've just picked up one sentence there in, in one of the, 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 the poems, which was written probably 2,000 years ago. And it's, it goes specifically to the reason why people should be doing succession planning. Um, and, and so you can, the, the beauty of that is that um, the language is so contextual that you can add it to any particular generation. Um, if, I, if I look at the Australian environment, um, uh, the, our Indigenous people, the Aboriginal um, people of Australia who um, have got some really, really deep wisdom, uh, I was speaking to a, um, a playwright, an Aboriginal playwright a few years ago, we were having a philosophical discussion about um, ancient wisdom and modern wisdom and he was he was talking about in in, a, in Australia the, the Aborigines have a thing called the dreaming or the dream time, which is their storytelling, um, and it's about their way of trying to understand the world and their place in the world and spiritualism, etc. And he said, you know, the one thing that we have over the, the West is that it's not written down. 
So we can tell the same story generation after generation after generation, yet contextually we can switch that into what's going on today. Yet you people in the West have a book that was written 2,000 years ago and it's on paper and you can't change a word. You're stuck. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective of a different way of looking at things. And when I look to the, the East in general, a lot of these things are handed down that way and so they're far more contextual. Um, and so it does provide a rich tapestry from which you can pick from and, and then integrate into, into your own thinking and into the world of, of your clients. So there's no one book, there's no one thing I would suggest. Uh, I know my colleagues in China would uh, probably go to Confucianism and, and, and some of the, the workings of Confucius and probably use some of that, that language. Um, and each culture will have its own um, wisdom that it, it pulls from. And even in, even even if you look at modern Western cultures, even in say in the United States, uh, you're just over two hundred years old, like us. Um, so your modern wisdom comes from different different uh, uh, data sets. I guess you've got the you know, the poets who who wrote a hundred years ago that you still pull from. You've also got the modern poets. You've got uh, you know the, the rap singers who who've got certain um, it's modern poetry, if you like. But why, why are we not using that in what we do as well? Because there's messages in there, there's context in there. Even, even looking at uh, you know, your, your baseball cap, Alex, the baseball's a huge uh, a deep vein to, to, to stem from if we really want to pick some, some good stuff to talk about with our clients. So I don't think it has to look any particular way or, or come from any particular source. I think the sources are all around us every day. Beautiful. I also, uh, yeah, you really hit it out of the park with that metaphor. The um, the, act, the thing that I'm eager to talk to you about, there, there are so many, and I'm not sure which one to leave for Alex, but I'll, uh, I'll pick up the sort of awakening that we're having, at least uh, I think throughout the Western world, about the systemic racism and oppression and uh, all the isms do you know what i mean how we've how we've marginalized people and kept uh, kept oppressing uh people in minorities in a lot of different ways i'm eager to hear your point of view not only because of your global perspective but also because you recently uh i don't know how recently uh wrote on the topic of um sort of can white people take mentoring advice wisdom from uh, black people. And that seems prescient now. Uh, when did you write that? And, and how has oh, yeah. that changed uh, since then? Yeah, the, the context of that was again in the sense of- Act, I'm, I'm sorry, Act, we've, lost your, we've lost your audio. There you go. Oh, is that better? Much, thank you. Great. The, the context of that was in the, the uh, ancient Aboriginal wisdom. Um, and again, uh, some of my colleagues have, have taken, um, uh, I guess, hard-nosed white Anglo businessman from the big city out into the wilderness, out on the country with, with Aboriginal elders and spend a week with them in the country. And those people have come back totally transformed. Um, now, did they read that? Did they get that transformation out of a book or out of some something Western? No, they they got grounded in themselves and they went back to to very very basic uh, principles. 
um, which uh, when you talk to Aboriginal elders, they're very connected to land, they're very connected to uh, the spirit and the nature of, of, of where they live. Um, and that systemic approach uh, is something that, that they live and breathe. And so bringing people from the West into that enables a very different experience to occur. And so that's what I was talking about there around kind of in, in, in Australian slang, um, a, a white man's called a white fella and an Aboriginal's called a black fella. Um, and that's in, in, in uh, all done with love. There's no, there's no intention there around uh, racism. It's just, just the language that we use locally. Uh, certainly what, what in Australia we've been seeing in, in America in the last, say, 12 months with Black Lives Matter, et cetera, has been a really interesting observation from the other side of the fishbowl, if you like. Um, and, and it's a conversation that, that you can bring up with clients in coaching around um, there's a continuum that we tend to work with in life. And on, on one side, there's judgment. Um, and we tend to live in a world of judgment of, of, of good and bad, right and wrong. Uh, that person's a bad person, a good person, et cetera. And the, the quite opposite of that continuum um, that, that I talk to with, with, with people is it's not judgment, it's actually just acknowledgement. And when you sit in a world of acknowledgement, you can actually see things and see them without the heat. Uh, you're not judging. You're, you're looking at it and going, you know what, that's just happened. Um, so, so if we took the heat out of that, we took the right or wrong, what can we learn from that? What can we acknowledge? of what's going on. And I think in anything like racism or or the big isms that are happening around the planet at the moment, uh, they're, they're steeped in judgment. They're steeped in something being right or wrong, someone being the victim and someone being the perpetrator. And I think that sets up an entire energetic uh, relationship, which is not necessarily... Um, going to end up in anything positive for all parties concerned. It's, it's going to find a winner and a loser, which again in itself is that paradigm of right and wrong. You've got to have a winner and got to have a loser. It's all about the judgmental piece. And I think we need to start thinking as a probably as a, as a species around how we raise our awareness around this and, and just suspend judgment for a minute and think through how can we just acknowledge that people come from different perspectives. Um, yeah, part, part of the, the Asia-Pacific thing for me has been a really interesting personal journey around um, dealing with people from so many different cultures, especially when some of those cultures don't necessarily like to talk to each other. Yet as coaches, we're all sitting together, we're all sharing together, and we've been able to suspend the judgments and suspend some beliefs and just get on with hey, we're here to do something really good in the world around coaching, and we actually can suspend this stuff and we can move forward. Um, and it doesn't always have to be about judgment and blame. This is a great uh, lead-in to, and I I'm a, might need you to correct me a little bit, but you, you've written a few things. Um, and I, have you, are they, have you written, are they your books? Are they co-authored? What, what, you've written a few things, um, right? The, the, the last one I've written um, is a book on uh, mindset, uh, okay. a, um, a mind for acquisition, uh, and it's it's around. And I've, I co-authored that with my business partner in another business that I've got. Um, and that business started off three years ago. We uh, we were introduced to a concept that started in the United States out of Harvard and then got perfected in in Stanford, called a search fund. 
Um, and you may not have heard of a search fund, but it's basically a bunch of um, uh, entrepreneurs who back a young entrepreneur who wants to buy a business and take it to the next level. Uh, and so in that process, there's coaching, there's there's financial advice, there's a whole bunch of things going on. And we work with young, we're bringing that whole concept to Australia. Uh, and it's about working with young entrepreneurs who want to buy a business that's looking to transition from one generation to the next. Uh, and in that, a lot of books around leadership, a lot of books around anything you, you, you see in the market these days is all around the skills and the tools you need. But the one thing that's common is what's the mindset? What mindset do you need to be successful as a leader? What mindset do you need to be successful as a, as a manager? What mindset do you need to be uh, to have if you're about to look at acquiring a business? And, and to me, it's beyond tool set. Tool sets, you can pick them up anywhere. Uh, skill sets, well, you can learn those. Anyone can learn them. But somebody with fantastic skills with a mindset that shut down and closed is never going to make the same choices and results as somebody that, that's got an open mindset. Uh, so that book was around really addressing that the mindset needed for those kinds of people. I want to, I want to ask you about the writing as a coach and as a leader. Yeah. Um, I often, I, I get asked often, like, is this important? Should coaches write? Should they speak? Should they just be coaching? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I'm curious your take. Like, why spent? Like, why have you gone in the direction of of writing and being published? And how do you think it serves coaches? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I I think we wrote that, and I've written some other chapters purely to to share experience uh, for people to to learn from. Um, I think writing is a is a good way of doing that. Uh, I think there are other modalities as well. I, I I found the writing process really quite challenging. I know you've written a few books as well, and Christopher, you've probably written more than a few. Um, but I, I find it really challenging. Uh, it, it's it's hard process. It's not easy. Uh, um, uh, Louis, my business partner, and I in, in that business, or um, have already started another book. Um, um, in fact, we started it before the book that we we, we did publish, um, and the introductory chapters written and the titles to all the chapters after that are done. Um, but we just haven't got the time or energy to, to put to it right now. Uh, we'll get around to it. Uh, but writing does take time, and it's a discipline. Um, I, I also think uh, the the public speaking circuit's a good way of getting your message across if you've got a if you think you've got a good message to get across. Um, and and so I, I do a bit of that as well. I, I I think I prefer that more than writing because it's it's far more fluid, and uh, it's not as fixed in the sense that my experience that I might have had this morning can be woven into a presentation this afternoon, and that's real, that's live, and it's energetic. Um, where sometimes in in, in the written form, um, it's about the time it was written and the context it was it's read in. I appreciate the question so much because I, on the contrary, I have not written a book and I'm one of those people who's, you know, I can't really see the point. Whereas I admire and acknowledge your fortitude for doing the thing that you don't enjoy, right? To writing uh, because of the intention and the, and the purpose for it. And I think Alex, you actually enjoy writing, right? Sort of an expression for you. 
Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite, act, like, I mean, creating, right? Whether it be videos or writing, like I love, that's that's my favorite thing to do is actually take the thoughts and my voice and like put them out into the world and see what they, see what they like trigger in people. Well, what I know Act has written is uh, uh, the thing that's that prompted my er earlier question is he wrote a chapter called Can a White Fellow Be Mentored Using Black Fellow Wisdom, a case study on alternative coaching modalities in the Australia Pacific region. And that was published in the Coaching and Mentoring in the Asia Pacific, which was published in 2018 by Rutledge. Also, um, you've uh, co-authored a chapter on mentoring across an industry, as well as the book that you've just talked about co-writing with your second squared co-founder. The book is a mind for acquisition, preparing yourself to buy your business. Um, I'm eager to know what's, what's got your attention these days, Zach. Are you working on something else that you're writing? Is there something that has got your, grabbed your attention that you feel is important to write about? Yeah, look, there's there's two uh, two books in me somewhere. Um, the first one's the one that we started a few years back but didn't finish, and it was around um, what is the what is the mindset of a leader? How does a leader in a business differ? Why is there one leader and not a thousand leaders in a business? Um, and and what's that what's that special sauce, if you like? Um, and it started with a, a lunch that we ran with a bunch of entrepreneurs um, about three years ago. We had 18, 18 entrepreneurs in the room. Some of them were lead, uh, leading CEOs of, of listed companies. Others were smaller businesses. But we posed that question to them. And, and what we found really interesting was that there are a couple of key themes that came through. Um, and, and the one that intrigued me a lot was um, even, the, even what you might have thought was the hard-nosed uh, listed company CEO was very, very connected to purpose, very, very connected to the values that that drove him in his decision making. And I don't think Mr. and Mrs. Public see that. I don't think they experience that. Um, but when you see these people, and look, I, I, I help, I coach that that particular character in his business for a while. When you see that in real life, when the lights shone on the tough decisions you have to make and how decision-making is, is often made um, and, and good decision-making is made values-driven, um, there's some really interesting uh, lessons to be learned there. And so, so one of the books that we kind of have in the background is, is looking at what are those skills that real entrepreneurs and real leaders have that they bring to the front and really work with when they're when they're, they're faced with with the hard choices, because you know the reason the reason you're you're a leader is not to make the easy choices, it's to make the tough choice, uh, and it's making the tough choices and how you make that and reconcile yourself with it that's really important. So again, it's how does that affect the person and the personality. Um, so that's one of the books. The the other one is is looking at the the business cycle of the small to medium sized entrepreneur. And looking at the ups and downs, and how the emotional uh, aspects of those are actually working with those people, what the emotional decision making is that they're making, even unconsciously, and bringing that un unconscious, um, I guess, uh, that unconsciousness to consciousness, so that when they're making decisions, they're they're starting to be consciously aware of: Am I making this in a in a frustrated state, or am I making this in a really really positive state of mind? this decision hope that answers the question it, it does and for me uh you know as a 
CEO of an organization, I'm recently faced with a couple of challenging decisions around things like people's jobs, you know, things that have actual consequences to human beings that I know and care about. So I'm um, particularly taking heart in that. With, you know, going back to your previous comments about really taking on uncertainty, and I think you said owning uncertainty, which I love yeah. that, that concept. Um, you know, it strikes me that in these choices that I'm up against, there's no clear path, right? I'm either going to choose A or B and it's, uh, you know, there are positive and negative consequences each way. And I'm struggling because I don't really want the negative consequences of either, right? (laughs) It's only the positive. Um, Is there something that you bring from, from your focus on owning uncertainty to something like that, where there's no clear you know, there, there are going to be, something's going to happen either way. And I have no idea which way it is. Is there something we can take from you about owning uncertainty in that regard? Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. Um, where to start? Um, I, I think, I think part of it is, is, is understanding that, um, you know, if you go back to that, what I talked about earlier around um, neuroscience and understanding that, that uh, I, I didn't know this this time last year, but the brain is a very, very lazy part of the body. Um, it's probably the laziest part of the body. And, and part of the reason for that is that it takes up most of our energy. And so we've over, over um, millennia worked out at an unconscious level that the brain has to um, do things as easy and as efficiently as possible with as least amount of energy as it can. And so we become creatures of habit. And so habit forming and, and all those little habits that we have and how we go about doing things are actually well entrenched in our in our brains purely because it helps us not have to think about everything that we do. It's that first coffee in the morning that you reach for without realising you've reached for it um, is unconscious now. And so if if we take something as simple as, as reaching for that cup of coffee unconsciously and we go, right, what if we're making a harder decision um, that is conscious, but are there any unconscious biases that might be playing out in that decision-making? Let's go and explore those. And I think part of that uncertainty is that in uncertainty, when the brain has to work much harder because we just don't know, are we falling back on unconscious bias? Are we falling back on unconscious behaviours that might actually be stopping us from making a really, really good decision? Um, And it's the exploration of those unconscious biases. What are my fears? Because I've done this before, these things might happen. Uh, And, and again, I I was with a... I was facilitating a strategic workshop for a for a board um, in Sydney a few weeks ago, and uh, one of the things was interesting was that as a board they'd agreed to make a major choice and decision, and for them it was the first time in thirty years they were going to make such a big choice. So it was big, right? And as a board, they all sat around and thought, "That's really cool. That's really good." And then I watched as in the next twenty minutes they talked themselves out of it. And and then I stopped them and I said, so, guys, look what you've just done. You've talked yourself out of a key choice. And they went, yeah, we do that all the time. I go, right, let's stop right there. Why did you do that? Let's let's go under the cover there. And, And what are the fears that were driving you to walk away from that choice? And and I know that there are some some key fears that we need to address in any of this stuff. And one's often trust. 
Um, you know, am I trusting myself in the process? Am I trusting the information that I've got? Do I need more information? There are all those sorts of things. Um, then, then you've got control. And am I going to lose control or gain control out of this? And what are the control issues? And what are the quality, the consistency, the time issues that, that, that I need to address? And I think there are the fears that we sometimes don't talk about in any choice that we need to make. Um, and if we can bring them to light, if we can bring them to uh, awareness, we can actually start to see which choice we've got to make, which is going to be easier. I appreciate that thoughtful answer to an impossible question. Thanks. But I love the, the notion of noticing our patterns and especially our avoidant patterns, because that's what I'm doing currently. It's just like, oh, that's that's too hard of a choice. I think I'll just wait. And all that's happening is we're getting older and the issue is getting you know, more blatant. Right. Yeah. Alex? I, you know, it's, I, I saw somebody post something on social media on like LinkedIn yesterday and it was talking about how life keeps getting harder as they get older. And I, and I, I, I like how you put it. Cause when I heard that, I, I first was like, that's an interesting way to see the world. Like life keeps getting harder as you're getting older. And then I heard you, as you're just talking, I'm like, well, of course it does for most people. Cause as you get older, your life gets bigger, right? You go from being a kid and just being in a sandbox and your yep. worries are very small to maybe you run a business or you have a family. So does it get harder is a con is like a context or belief about it, but does it get bigger? Probably. Um, yep. When, you know, in the world that we live in, not only do our lives get bigger, but the world is becoming more connected. COVID showed us that. And it seems like not only do we have the old problems that we've always had, hunger, you know, uh, natural disasters, you know, money, scarcity, whatnot. Um, but now we have all these new problems that we create. How, how are you, um, as a coach, how do you support like leaders to, to, to juggle all of this, right? The old, yeah. the new, their life expanding. Cause it seems like, you know, as this person shared, a lot of people are getting burdened by by all of it. Yeah, I think um, the it's a, it's a it's a it's a very big question, Alex. Um, and is, is you're you're, all, you're big enough to handle it. You're big oh, enough. Oh, thank you, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your confidence, Sydney. Um, when I'm working with with clients around this, and you know, even to go to, to Christopher's conversation around having to make some really big decisions, it's uh, to me the the. Uh, the challenge, the secret, the the ideal is to get the context. What what's the biggest context here that that's playing out? Um, because we tend to get really really lost in the content. Um, and you know, yes, life gets more complex. Life gets. I think if you say life gets harder, then it will. What if you change that and said, what if life could actually get easier? Um, how could I make it easier? Well, do I need to attach to all the content that's going on in the world? Uh, or do I just need to maybe take a breath and go, what am I learning from this? I always think everything, every hardship we have has a, has a purpose, has a, has a reason. And, and when I'm working with executives and they're going through very tough times or really, really sometimes, uh, I've seen, I've seen, I've, I've picked up executives who've, who've lost their jobs, or in fact, lost their businesses, and they're really trying to come to terms with what, what that actually, you know, means for them and how tough it is. And sometimes I talk about the fact that it may not be for years 
that you'll get the message. But trust that there's a lesson there for you. And only through hindsight, only through time, only through getting a different context will you find what that message is or that learning is. Sometimes it might happen immediately after, but trust that the lesson is always there. Um, but if we're not aware of that, we can't ask what the lesson is. And if we don't ask what the lesson is, we can't go searching for the lesson. And I think that's part of the, you know, to me, you know, talk about life, life, life's, life's a journey. That's the journey, right? It's, it's, it's that piece. It's not, oh, I wake up every day and go to work and I drive the car. That's not a journey. <laughs> the, the journey is the learning piece that sits behind it. Is to, if something's happening, then what am I learning from this? What am, what's, what's the message it's giving me and how, how do I take and play this forward into the next thing I do? If someone treats me badly, what's the learning in that? Is that how I should treat others? Should I learn from that and say, oh, that's how I should treat others? Or should I learn from that and say, that's how I never want to treat anyone. Um, they're the messages. That's that. That I think is the the underlying unsaid that that we we tend to miss in the busyness of of worrying about all the stuff that we read in the paper every day and all these issues. Yep, that's never going to change. I don't think all that stuff is just happening to our generation. I think ever since we were conscious, we were able to to stand. Stuff like this has been happening to humanity. It happens all the time about what we learn from them. So beautiful. What a, what a powerful message. Oh, it's been wonderful to spend time with you today. And I want to make sure that other people have the opportunity. So uh, we should let people know that the best website, I think, to find out more about Axaba and the work that you do is Beckon Business. That's B-E-C-K-O-N business, B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Uh, you can find all sorts of things there. ACK works with people in every sector from banking and finance to biotech, government, health, hospitality, and manufacturing and more. Um, I, I want to put in my own personal plug, which is I about two years, maybe three years ago now, I started working with a corporate mentor as well as my coaches. And man, what a difference to have that voice of, as you said, so beautifully experience and, you know, having made some mistakes and wait, let me give you some wisdom here. Uh, so I want to encourage people not only to work with you as a coach, but also as a corporate mentor. You also have a, a sort of a white label program for mentoring, which is available for people that are interested. Um, everything is available at Beckon Business. Do you want people to reach out or, or be aware of anything in particular? Um, uh, Chris, that's, that's the place to, to start from, um, and we can have a conversation from there. Um, and uh, it, it's all about helping businesses uh, grow and develop and uh, for people to become the best versions of themselves they, they can be. Wonderful. Thank you for your important work. Of course, the book, as you said, is um, A Mind for Acquisition, co-written with, I'm going to massacre this name. Is it Lou Pangerella? Uh, Louis Pangerella. Louis. I'm so sorry. And uh, I also want to let people know, because of your lofty position as the founding president of the European Mentoring and Coaching Council, Asia Pacific region, that if they're in your part of the world, they should uh, they should look you up. But also, uh, if they go to emccconference.org, they'll find out that today in our time, uh, May 12th, is the beginning of the 27th Global Mentoring, Coaching and Supervision Conference. Uh, there are two other conferences that I'm aware of that EMCC is sponsoring this year. If uh, today is a little too short notice, uh, you could, of course, get the recordings from that conference. But there's also in July, the 10th Global Coaching, 
Mentoring and Supervision Research Conference. And then in October 29th, we've got the EMCC Global Mentoring Conference. So lots of opportunities to participate with the European <laughs> Mentoring, Coaching and uh, oh, mm-hmm. now I've lost it. What's the EMCC? European Mentoring, European Coaching. Mentoring Coaching Council. Thank you, Council. Ugh. Um, I'm going to really get, it's only been 18 years. I'm going to get good at this one of these. (laughs) Um, uh, As is our custom, we'd love to give you the last few minutes here for any parting thoughts or parting shots you'd like to send out to a few thousand coaches today. What would you have us uh, take with us today? Okay. I I guess the the quick parting shot would be, um, I'm often asked, what's, what's the best book I should be reading on leadership? And um, if you Google leadership books, I think there's millions of them that come out. Um, And again, to me, most of them speak to skill set. And I think they're great books to learn skill set. But there's one book that stands out as a mindset book for leaders. Um, When my, I've got twin girls who who are are absolutely adorable. And when they graduated their undergraduate um, university degrees a few years back, my wife and I gave them uh, this very book as a as a gift. Um, it's written by a, quite a controversial uh, writer called Dr. Seuss um, uh, of the Cat in the Hat fame. He's only um, controversial to some of us in America, but I get it. Yes, yes. Um, um, and the the book is called um, Other Places You Will Go. Uh, and to me, it's one of the best management books, one of the best leadership books, one of the best books to learn uh, of the life journey. Um, so um, yeah, it's a bit out of the box, a bit, bit different, but um, if you haven't read it, it's well worthwhile. I, I think every coach could, could use it with their client. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much, Haxabak, for being Sabah, for being with us today. And uh, again, the website is beckonbusiness.com. Uh, Alex Terranova, you're available at thedreammason.com and all things coaching as well as your books and writings and, and daily videos are there. Anything else you want the people to know? I love that book recommendation. I think it's the book. I think it's the book I've been gifted more than any other book. I've never gifted it, but I've been gifted that book a lot of times. So maybe that says something about <laughs> what I need. <laughs> Either that or people's. Uh, assessment of your reading comprehension though i don't really know i don't know yeah 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 yeah. let's keep it simple for him all right and of course this program this program this week is every week is sponsored by accomplishment coaching right here on accomplishment media or wherever fine podcasts are available accomplishment coaching home of the world's finest coach training program uh registering for programs all across north america right now i thank you dear listener for being with us and each week we bring you people out on the cutting edge people you need to know about pioneers in coaching and others that are just plain interesting so tune in here or whenever you can uh through accomplishment media or wherever fine podcasts are available and I thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.